Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us, or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never it's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. It's the day after tomorrow, as in... The day that Trump pulled, which is actually a movie about climate change, a catastrophe movie about climate change, by the way, abrupt climate change. So we are in the day after tomorrow because Trump, uh, if you read the headlines, I am not exaggerating. Uh, he has destroyed the planet. And and because of Trump's actions, we are all now on borrowed time. It's a strange thing to say, but it is, it is uh, now the case that the world is going the world is going to end because of Trump. That's what they're telling us. And in fact, remember Ghostbusters? It's like this. Six what he means is Old Testament, Mr. Yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. All because of Trump. All because of Trump. It, he pulled out of a non-binding, non-congressionally sanctioned agreement that allows people to both uh, to, to self-grade and and all to self-assess on their climate change pattern or climate change, whatever. It, it's so insane. I was sitting around and I was like, "This is this is nuts." People have lost their minds. They are. I have gone to some place that I, I didn't I didn't know that this was really going to be possible. This is the craziest it's been. There are more people upset, I think, about this on the left than there were even uh, in the in the with the first revelations of of Russia, Trump. Well, not revelations of collusion, but allegations. Right. This was the, but they're even more mad about this. You see, it's one thing for the media to believe that the president has betrayed the country because, like, they don't really care about the country all that much. Let's be serious, right? I mean, you know, if we're in charge or the Russians are in charge, I mean, you know, whatever. It's all one world government, right? Not, I mean, you know, NBD, no big deal. But, I mean, to destroy the planet, oh, my gosh, it's terrible. Uh, that's what they think is happening now. This is this is Trump as the apocalypse. Uh, and I'm not – this is – it sounds like I'm exaggerating, right? I'm on talk radio. It's a Friday. I know a lot of you got your weekends ahead of you, or you're just starting your weekends now. And so, you know, I got to get your attention. I'm like, oh, Trump is destroying the world. But that's what they're saying. I'm not, I'm not making this stuff up. There is no limit to the crazy here. It was just different flavors of crazy over the last 24 hours. Fascinating to see all of the, the hot takes on, on uh, social media. Um, here's one from The Nation, one of my favorites. If you want to know what the intellectual class of the left thinks about things, you can go read The Nation. And uh, they had a piece. I'm, I'm just reading you the piece, all right? Don't blame me. Don't blame the messenger here. 
They had a piece, Donald Trump's withdrawal from the Paris Accords is a crime against humanity. The subheading, as if that headline were not bad enough, the subheading, this is murder, even if Trump's willful ignorance of climate science prevents him from seeing it as such. So it is not enough to uh, call President Trump a traitor for the, the, the writers, the pundits, the journalists posing as neutral arbiters of the future of this republic. It's not enough to say that he's a traitor, that he worked with Russia over, through the election. And, you know, that's, now there are people that are writing that he's a murderer. That the, the blood of the world, not even just one person, the blood of the world is on is on his hands uh, for an agreement that's been around for like two years. That doesn't that doesn't even do anything. In the same breath, you will see, or in the same sentence, you will read people on the left who are like, "This agreement wasn't even like the big of a deal. It didn't make us do anything." And you're like, "Well, then why?" Would we? Why does it matter so much if it doesn't make anyone really do anything? Because it's about the planet. Why don't you understand? I I don't I don't know what to say to people. Do, do they believe that I want the planet to die? Um, do Do they think that in my perfect world, or you know, Exxon Mobil is sending checks to my house? You know, I'm flying around, flying around on an Exxon Mobil private jet. That actually sounds like fun, but that's unfortunately not happening. Um, this is uh, a, a, a form of hysteria. Um, I, I will get into some more of the substance of the, of the response to this, but today I, just, well, I was taken aback. A term from sailing, by the way, when the wind would shift quickly in the sails and all of a sudden you would be taken aback because of a quick shift in wind and it could, uh, you know, jolt the ship. Uh, I was taken aback by this because this is now everything today. They are so uh, freaked out about the climate change stuff that Russia collusion is like a secondary story, which never happens. I mean, if you go on CNN.com right now, if you just want to check it out and you go on CNN.com, uh, you will see that, well, no, they still have a lot of Russia stuff. I take, I take it back. There's, there's still a lot of Russia stuff. I, I, I went for a, but there's the whole thing about the man, the man with no answers is their primary headline. And they're, they're saying that, um, well, that's in reference to a couple things. One, one of the big uh, questions that keeps coming up from the press is, does the president believe in uh, climate change? Which is not really a question. It, it doesn't mean anything, right? This this would be like someone asking me, for example, and, I, and I'm not a doctor. We're going to get into a doctor versus a journalist a little later with Rand Paul versus uh, Jake Tapper on this issue. And uh, Rand Paul took Mr. Tapper to school. The ride on the school bus was free. And Rand Paul was driving it. Um, but, you know, by the way, I believe, do we have Senator Paul? Yeah, right. As of now, Senator Paul will be joining us next week. I, I, I like Senator Paul. I, I was hoping he was going to do better in the primary. I would have very gladly voted for him for president. I, I will say that. Um, I, I think, and, and I wish more of uh, his signature issues and his voice and libertarian tendencies, uh, libertarian philosophies, I wish it had a greater influence on the modern 
or contempt, whatever, current Republican Party, but I digress. Uh, on the climate change stuff for a second. So when they ask the president, and we're going to be talking about this a bunch, by the way, this is it today. I mean, this this took the wind out of uh, out of everything else, right? This this was the story all day. It was oh my gosh, look what he's done. Uh, it was it was the journalist equivalent of when like everyone realizes that that Godzilla is just like stomping on the city and they start running away in, in terror. Uh, that was the level of panic and and media disarray today as a result of what happened with Trump yesterday. And I'm just like, this is how do you even really uh, wrap your head around this? I'm I'm speaking to adults here, or I should say I'm I'm reading, talking about today as I'm prepping for the show. I wasn't talking to them, but we're speaking about and and I'm I'm reading the writings of adults who believe that a point zero two degrees Celsius rise in global temperature over the next hundred years is something about which they should lose sleep, is something about uh, which they should have disdain and real hatred for other people who disagree with them. And and there needs to be radical action taken that will take money out of people's pockets, might cost people jobs, might cause real pain and misery in this country because of a 0. 0.02 degree Celsius rise. And it, it, I, I sit here and what is wrong with them? You know, I, I didn't go to some... Uh, you know, right-wing indoctrination camp. Uh, I, I'm I'm not somebody who grew up in a place that liberals disdain and leftists mock. You know, I I, I didn't. Uh, I'm not from some forgotten part of the country that doesn't have enough broadband internet access, or whatever to borrow from Hillary Clinton. Uh, I'm from New York City. I'm from Manhattan, and I, I'm surrounded by these people who overwhelmingly agree with the hysteria from the left on this. And I, 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 I'm at a loss for words sometimes, which for a radio host is quite something. Well, what do you say to them? They really believe this is some catastrophe. Uh, some of them say they have anxiety over this. They're losing sleep over this. Uh, you had the, the ACLU, which I know a lot of you are like, why do you care what the ACLU says about anything? You the ACLU saying that pulling out of the Paris Agreement would be a massive step back for racial justice and an assault on communities of color across the U.S. I mean, they got me. I don't even know what that is supposed to mean. I, I don't even know what that reference is to. I, I saw this earlier today, and I'm like, what, what is... And I know others have been befuddled as well. They're like, what, what does that mean? Pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement is an assault on communities of color in this country? I, I, I you know, whew. this is, uh, we have a problem. People talk about draining the swamp. What about calming the insanity? We need to calm the insanity. We need, we need to get people's synapses and, uh, and neurons uh, settled down and, and to not be just so uh, completely outrageously overworked and, and overwhelmed. Uh, you had the chairwoman or chairman, because a chair is an inanimate object. We should stop calling someone a chair. That doesn't make any... I know this is what we do now. This is one of our, oh, we'll bow to the progressive gods, whatever. 
But uh, to, to call someone a chair is to call them an, an inanimate object, okay? You're a chairman or a chairwoman. Let's just... Anyway, the chairwoman of the American Studies Department at Harvard University, no less, which I'll be talking to you again later on in the program about it, uh, shared this gem. The USA, created by International Community and Treaty of Paris in 1783, betrays international community by withdrawing from Paris Climate Agreement today. Once again, what does that even mean? This is somebody who who studies and reads, uh, at least theoretically, for a living, and this is just dumb. And there's a lot of takes out there and a lot of responses that are just dumb. And it's hard to engage with them on a serious level because they're so divorced from reality. It's such a an alternate universe that they're living in. And, and what's terrifying, it's not like they think that they're a little off or weird. They think that someone like me, that I'm crazy. I was like, you're the one who thinks that the world is going to end unless we have government-enforced drastic measures to put slightly less CO2, which is not a pollutant, despite what they all say, it's, it, it, it is in fact breathed in by plant, it is not a pollutant, uh, but put CO2 in the air, the world will end. This is an apocalyptic philosophy based on science that has proven itself to be, at best, uh, highly uh, variable in its accuracy in recent years. And that's a, that's a charitable way of putting it. And they think that I'm crazy. I need to get into um, what they, they keep asking the president. Do you believe in climate change? I think that's a very important question. Um, and, and I want to get into, and of course, Sean Spicer today in the press conference isn't answering it. Um, but I will get into that. We'll talk about climate change a bit more. We have got all kinds of different takes. And there's a fantastic Rand Paul uh, Jake Tapper back and forth on this. Uh, I'll also talk to you about some stuff going on at Harvard later. We'll talk Hillary. We'll talk Kathy Griffin. It's a Friday show, so we're going to jam in a lot. It's going to be fun. That much I can promise you. Uh, but you are an essential part of this Friday show, as always, as you are on every show. But it's Freestyle Friday, which means action movie quotes are in effect. Hit it, sir. I just, I surprised him with that one. And when I pointed, it was... It was that was not how I was supposed to work. Can we try that? I've been trying. Do we have it? <laughs> we, we, someone had stolen our action movie quote intro. I don't even know what to do. You know what? That, that that's fitting. That's fitting. This is just the 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 left is trying to get back at get back at us because of what happened yesterday. They're so bitter that they won't even let us have our action movie quotes. Oh, we have it now. Action. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Movie. Come to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Quote free your mind. Fridays. Action movie quote Fridays. Boom! There it is. 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-2825. Light up those lines. I want to take a bunch of calls, Team Buck. We'll be right back. It is the day after tomorrow. I, I heard that was a terrible movie, by the way. Um, and it's about abrupt climate change. So it's 
it's perfect because it, this is the day after tomorrow, I guess, and that it's the day after Trump destroyed the world. That's what they're telling us. That's what they're writing. I, I, it's not even an exaggeration. You had a billionaire who funds all these environmentalists yesterday telling us that this was a treasonous act of war, Tom Steyer, as I said to you on the program. Well, that's the mindset of the guy who's writing the checks for all these guys who are like, Do you understand the science, sir? Have you paid attention to the climate models? Do you recognize what CO2 and greenhouse gases do? Uh, do you recognize it? Or are you just like some shill who walks around uh, D.C. In, in, in an ill-fitting suit lecturing people about science? I mean, you know, back off. Uh, but I digress. Um yeah, people are nuts on this stuff. All right, I said I'd take calls. We're going to take a bunch of them because there's a lot of them on the lines. Uh, David, North Carolina on WPTI. What's up, my friend? Hey, Shields High, Buck. Shields High, David. Hey, uh, hey uh, I've been listening to you here in Greensboro since you took over for that uh, that closet liberal uh, John McCain. The, 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 the very nice lady. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, yeah, but uh, you're awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, hey, I, I totally agree with everything you just said in regard to the climate uh, agreement. Uh, with, I've got to tell you that that man has got a set, and uh, he keeps proving it almost every day. And every day, the liberals keep going. He does crazy, have a set crazy, of principles, crazy. I agree. And, uh, and he, look, he's doing what he said he was going to do here. And uh, I, I just— of all the things that Trump has done, this actually makes them ang- the angriest. I, l- let me put this to you, David. Uh, it is my it is my uh, my contention that if liberals could choose between the worst case scenario of Trump Russia collusion, meaning Trump was with Putin in like a Russian bathhouse conspiring to overthrow the government with Hillary and the servers. If, 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 if that was on one side and on the other, we actually stay out of this climate agreement that Trump has pulled us out of. I, I think they think that the second one is scarier. <laughs> I think that's actually worse for them. They hate that even more. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what's scary for us. Uh, Other than that uh, visual, which I know. Yeah, go ahead. You were saying? Is that uh, is that uh, 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 Griffin character? I'll tell you what, she needs to be uh, put down. Uh, I, I'm for humane, uh, but, uh, you know, and I don't mean in the way that— Put, to, you know, put, to, put I, down I ver- verbally to, to I, put her in her place. Please. Yes, to put her in her place, we will, we will say. She needs to be put in her place. I will talk about her— Later on in the show, I think she has to some degree been put in her place. I'll change your verbiage there. But thank you for calling in, David. We got it. We got. We got to get to other uh, other calls. Oh, uh, we will get to other calls, but um, we actually have to go into a break here in a second. Um, sometimes, sometimes I like to guide my uh, my wonderful callers a bit in the certain certain directions. Um, where was I? Oh yeah, we're making fun of climate change, people. I do believe that, by the way. I'm wondering if you agree with me. You can call him with an action movie quote, or you can call him with your with your riff on uh, whether Trump Russia collusion of the worst magnitude possible, which I think is not true, but I'm just saying theoretically of the worst conjuring that they could uh, the worst thing they could conjure on that, or the climate change agreement. The climate change agreement scares liberals more, which tells you a lot.
Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. Are you not entertained? Shields High. Evelyn, North Carolina WPTI. What's going on? Well, I'm 73, Buck, and I have never seen such craziness in all my life. <laughs> I bet. I, they're not. But the one thing I've been thinking about, and I, I think it's something we all should think about, when these crazies have children and these children are on a sports team, what do these people tell their children? Oh, there's only our team. There's no other team. You're the most important. And if you lose, it's the other team's fault that you lost. And if, if you do lose, you want to be sure to be as vindictive and vicious as possible, dragging that other team down. Yeah, this is the greatest instance. I mean, the, the post-Hillary loss, Evelyn, I think you could argue is, is the greatest instance, uh, incidence in my lifetime of sore yeah. loser of sore loserism that I've ever seen. And you know, Buck, whether it's the um, Russian uh, controversy that they're you know putting over, or whether it be the uh, climate change, it doesn't matter. They're they're going to keep it up for the next four to eight years, distracting distracting everything away from President Trump's agenda. And they're hurting this country more than anything. And I'm so tired of it. I just, I don't know what's going to be the, the solution to it. And trying to take away free speech with our um, talk shows because they're telling us the truth and not, you know, saying what they want to hear. We need to support our talk show hosts and, and our programs to be sure that, the truth is out there and not these crazy theories. I agree with you, and I appreciate you listening to this show and supporting the Freedom Hut. Thank you, Evelyn, for calling in. Um, Shields high. Tim in Florida, WFLF. What's up, Tim? Hey, uh, you know what people are missing? You know, they're talking about Save the Earth and all that. So they realize that uh, this accord uh, basically – uh, if we were committed to it, we would have to pay $3 trillion a year into this accord so that this money could be used to distribute throughout the world. That's a And we, if we were signatory for 10 years, that's $100 trillion that we would have to come up with I'm not a uh, – what's what's the $3 trillion? I haven't seen $3 trillion anywhere. Where are you getting – and that that's – that's like the entire federal budget. So I don't think we're spending three trillion. Are you talking about the global global loss of uh, I mean global economic loss of of GDP added together from all the different countries that would participate in this? That might be three trillion, but I, I, we, we're not we're not paying anybody three trillion. That was the deal, though. If you read into the accord, there is a deal where we, being the leader of the of the world was supposed to uh, come up with a $3 trillion a year that would be redistributed to the other countries so that basically they could get into uh, uh, emissions uh, 
Uh, limits. Well, I don't know. I don't but, know if we're talking about. Uh, we, we're gonna have to check your numbers. You, you might mean billion or or. Uh, but I look. We we do have to pay. In, T, I'm T so, with a T, just like the British T, trillion. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to tell you, Tim, that that the entire federal budget is is, is over is about three trillion plus. It's like three point seven or three point eight trillion a year. I, so we're not paying anybody. Th- I <laughs> okay, all right. Look, oh, it, it's billions. It's not trillions. <laughs> look, I'm not a math guy either. I get it. But all right, Tim, and I I got I got to roll the next one. But thank you for calling in. And, and he is correct in that there is a uh, there is a fund, a trust fund that we would be paying into of billions of dollars a year. I forget what the exact numbers are, and we would lose a few trillion dollars of overall. GDP growth over I forget what the or what the time horizon is uh, like a decade or two or maybe three but uh, yeah it's not not good but we're I promise we're not and I respectfully to the gentleman and I appreciate him calling in and it takes you know it takes a uh, there's you know takes some some uh, gusto to call into a radio show and I so I always do I am both thankful and and um, respectful of those who call in but i also want to make sure everyone listening is getting the right numbers the entire federal budget is 3.8 trillion dollars we're not paying three trillion dollars in any climate change fund but uh billions yeah for sure paying billions and you know that that's real money i mean it should be noted that when when we're talking about budgetary matters and we're like hey it's like 15 billion that's a lot of money (laughs) that's that's serious money uh you know you look at other countries and and you look at the the kind of money uh, that that they're dealing with, and you know you realize that billions matter. Um, uh, billions matter. So anyway, I just okay. I mean Jordan, for example, I just thought for fun, which is you know a relatively small country, it's like five or six million people, but you know it's a country. Jordan has a gross domestic product of thirty seven billion dollars. We lose something like eighty billion dollars a year in fraud through Medicare and Medicaid. So that should give you a sense of how big the U.S. federal budget is. Um, so you know, we, for us, a rounding error in U.S. federal budgeting is the entire national budget, or sorry, entire national GDP uh, of other countries. Just to give you a sense. All right, I thought that would be uh, that was worth pointing out. Here we go. Uh, countries have pledged to pay. uh, 10.13 billion collectively, and the U.S. share is 3 billion with a B. That's what I thought. This is from the Washington Post. So there, we're just, I'm just correcting the numbers, everybody. I'm I'm just keeping it real, but I still agree that we shouldn't be paying this money. All right. Back to uh, a little CNN throwback here. Sometimes I would go, and this is still about climate change, uh, and we can still, by the way, take some calls later on. I know we've we've run through a bunch now, but if you want to call in 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. What do you think of this climate change craziness? Uh, so I would, I would sit on panels sometimes, and the way that they would structure some of these panels, and I think this is important for you to, to hear from, from me, not just because I uh, worked at CNN as a conservative, that they, that they couldn't really, they didn't really know what to do with, because if I'm given enough time to speak, uh, I will beat most of their best people in debates on most issues, so they can try to shout over me or silence me or go to break, which they would do a fair amount, or they would structure the segment in such a way that it was it was essentially a slow it was a an ambush in stages, uh, which is the most common way. And one of the one of the ambush tactics uh, is to have on three people with the anchor. The anchor is, of course, a Democrat. And this is the the anatomy of a CNN 
partisan ambush, how it, how it works. And I don't know if it's the same at MSNBC. I'm guessing it probably is because it's very effective. And here's the way that you do it. I mean, the, the most traditional, the most standard partisan ambush by TV journalists is to have a person on the right, a person on the left, and the anchor who's also on the left but pretends not to be and then interrupts the person on the right, gives them less time, asks, asks them questions to start off with that put them on the defensive, pulls a random tweet from some like racist moron somewhere from the comment section of a website and is like, what do you say about this, sir? And you're like, I, I don't know who evil, hateful, racist 7275 is. Why am I being asked about this on live TV and you gave me no heads up about this and this is a total sham? Anyway. Uh, so th that's the the standard way is just for the anchor to, it, for it to be a two-on-one. But in, in the three-on-one scenario uh, on in, in cable news, the way that it often works is you have the, the, the established voice of reason, right? You have the person that's supposed to be the, the, the wisdom of the segment, so to speak. And he's usually a, a person of more years. You know, usually it's a, a gentleman or gentle lady in his or her, you know, later years, shall we say. I'll leave it at that. And then you have also a leftist, you know, bomb thrower. And then you have the, the least adept conservative you can find who's willing to go on TV and be called, them, and be called a conservative uh, and, and the way that it works is they go to the established wisdom, long resume ver you know, person first to set the tone for what is correct. So the audience at home is watching this and they see, you know, Mr. Old Wise Guy say, well, say a whole bunch of stuff. And then they ask usually the right wing person to say something and they cut the right wing person off because that already is going to sound uh, it's going to be contradicted by what's been established by the old wise person. And then the left-wing person gets to double team with the host against the conservative, and then they're just bashing and bashing and bashing. But you see the, the initial uh, tone is set by that sort of wise elder statesman of cable news. Uh, and, in, and in CNN's case, one of their favorites is David Gergen. And I, had, I, was, I got Gergened a few times, I can tell you that. I'm on a segment, all of a sudden it's like, well, uh, Buck, you may have some thoughts about uh, Afghanistan having, you know, worked that issue at the CIA, having served there, but, 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 but you're, you know, you, you look you look like some college kid. Let's have David Gergen explain what's really going on here. And I'm like, wait, what? And, and if I would try to interrupt him, of course, the anchor would shut that down right away. And in fact, if I tried more than once, I would get a little phone call afterwards, a little, uh, a, a little prodding from executives that there are some people that you're not allowed in cable news to contest really on air or if you do afterwards you'll be put on ice you will be punished ah a little behind the scenes of how this works at some of these places but david gergen yesterday it, it was the classic setup i'm telling you all about the setup because they he's the guy you know uh presidential advisor to four presidents or something i'm like I never even like I never even heard of this guy before CNN. I mean, I know he's been around a long time, but you know, what's he advising four presidents on? That's what I want to know. Uh, but here's what he had to say about the climate change agreement. Play it, please. Is this an unprecedented decision? Yes, and I'm sorry to say this, but Aaron, listen. Some 70 years ago, the United States entered an international agreement called the Marshall Plan when we came to the aid of Europe, and it was one of the noblest acts in human history. Today, we've walked away from the rest of the world, and it's one of the most shameful acts 
in our history. I think it will be widely seen around the world as a terrible, terrible setback for the planet. Uh, I, the, you know, we represent as a country 4% of the world's population, but we represent about a third of all the excess carbon dioxide that's now warming the planet. We're the largest contributor to carbon dioxide in the world. And for us to walk away as, the, as this carbon dioxide threatens the future of our grandchildren, for us to walk away from that is grotesquely irresponsible. Uh, it's also true that the nations that are going to pay the greatest price for global warming are the poor nations of the world. And, and yet they've contributed the least uh, to global warming. We have contributed the most. For us to walk away from that is immoral. What do you say, Jason Miller? So. A whole bunch of things that he says here that I, I have to say um, are just nonsensical on their face. But so he and then they go to Jason Miller, by the way, who's just supposed to get pummeled. And, and he does. And then they have John Avalon at the Daily Beast jumping on Jason Miller and and the whole thing. Uh, but first, of all, what is excess carbon dioxide? W what's the proper amount of of carbon dioxide? I'm just curious. I would like someone to let me know uh, what that would be. Um, and, and here's the quote I was looking for. CNN tweeted this out, that Trump's decision to pull out of the Paris Climate Accord is one of the, quote, most shameful acts in U.S. history, according to David Gergen, the guy that you were just hearing from there. One of the most shameful acts in U.S. history. I mean, I love America, but, you know, there's been there's been some not there's been not good stuff. There's been some really bad stuff. Slavery, civil war, internment of the Japanese. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mentioned off the top of my head, the way we treated the Native Americans. I mean, there's a lot of really bad stuff. You have the the elder statesman of the CNN punditry class saying this is one of the, quote, most shameful acts in U.S. history, according to CNN. Most shameful acts. How do these people have any credibility to say anything anymore? At, at what point does hyperbole, just for the sake of headline, become discrediting? I don't know. I don't know. The, the the crazier when it comes to this climate stuff, the better, the more attention you get. I see all, a bunch of lines. Let, I know I'm talking a bunch, and I want to let you guys talk. So uh, 844-900-BUCK. We will be right back. Yes, and I'm sorry to say this, but Aaron... Listen, some 70 years ago, the United States entered an international agreement called the Marshall Plan when we came to the aid of Europe, and it was one of the noblest acts in human history. Today, we've walked away from the rest of the world, and it's one of the most shameful acts in our history. One of the most shameful acts. I just want to play it again. One of the most shameful acts of U.S. history. This is from, like, the... Yeah, one of the worst things. This is their their senior political analyst saying this is one of the worst things that's ever happened in this country. I mean, like I said, I love America, but there's been some rough stuff here. There's been some there's been some really bad stuff. You know, we are not perfect. This country's history is not perfect. No country's history is perfect. But whoa, that is uh, if that's not an overstatement, there's no such thing. Uh, every line is lit, so let me stop talking and take some of your calls. Uh, Troy in Los Angeles. What's up, Troy? Hey, hi. I'm calling from New Orleans, listening to your show on that. Oh, from Louisiana. <laughs> I'm sorry. I saw L.A., my yeah. bad. Yeah, from, from, from the, other, the other cool place that I meant to say. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, well, I just want to know, you know, I voted for old Trump. I'm not a big supporter or anything, just because he wasn't Hillary. 
and because at least we're going to get a decent Supreme Court justice out the deal. And but lo and behold, you know, I I think he's he's uh I mean he's been a very pleasant surprise. I mean I don't even think the um this might be sacrilegious, but Ronald Reagan would have pulled out this climate change deal. Um. Well, we don't know, uh, right? Yeah, I mean, let's uh, let's not uh, let's not prejudge uh, what would have happened with yeah, Reagan on that. I yeah. mean, Re- Reagan did make. I'm sorry, Troy. Go ahead. Well, you know, I mean, he 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 was a conservative. You know, the conservative conservative by any means. You know, but you know, when it came to immigration, uh, you know, he 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 compromised a little bit. But anyway, I'm just saying, I'm pleasantly surprised with Trump. I'm getting a lot more out the deal. Than than um, I bargained for when I when I um, voted for him. I'm just wondering if um, the Republicans that are in Congress, if they're gonna if they see this as momentum, you know, they got two years to put their act together to to get the um, the Senate up and and I'm just wondering if if this is a momentum towards that. What do you think? Uh, we'll see. You know, the the news cycle is so day to day and. Trump's got some momentum now, but if the left has their way, they're gonna you're gonna hear so much about Comey next week and the Comey testimony, and it's gonna be all about Russia all the time. Uh, but Troy, I'm glad you called in. Thanks for calling in from Louisiana, not to be confused with Los Angeles. Uh, Dennis in Florida, WFLF. We got about a minute, but you got an action movie quote, so we could fit it in. What's up? Hi, actually, this is Carrie. I'm Dennis's wife. Oh, hi, hi, Carrie, Dennis's <laughs> wife. <laughs> He made the phone call for me while I went to get a cold beverage. Oh, nice. I wanted, yeah. What kind of, what kind of beverage are we talking about here? Uh, it's white and a, and a very nice fine glass. All right. There we go. <laughs> I wanted to uh, test your knowledge on a movie quote. Go for it. Your fault, my fault, nobody's fault. Your fault, my fault, nobody's fault. Ah, you got it. Yeah, it buzz it. What is it? You're kidding me. Is that a movie quote too? <laughs> John Wayne from Big Jake. I've already told everybody I am John Wayne deficient. So if you ask me John Wayne movies, you're always <laughs> going to get me. But uh, uh, tell the husband I said regards. Enjoy uh, whatever the, the white Zinfandel, whatever you got. We'll be right back. Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. Not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on. Welcome back, team. Uh, So I I wanted to get a little more into some of the substance of the response, the crazy response to uh, the climate change withdrawal yesterday that uh, Trump engaged in. Uh, A couple of things. First of all, this notion that there is world opinion, that we should defer to world opinion. I I actually had a a Washington Post something or other guy uh, respond to me on Twitter about, well, I think world opinion is very important. I want to be like, what what does world opinion mean? What do you think that means? How how do we know what now? I sound like uh, Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen. What does that mean? What do you mean world opinion? World opinion who says who? World opinion polls who? But uh, really, what is that? Uh, how many people even know what the Paris Climate 
uh, agreement is, start there, how many people care, and then of the people that care, how many care enough that this upsets them, and you start to see you're, you're slicing the global pie very thin, and also you have no idea what that pie is. They, this notion of world, world opinion is, is what uh, the, the elites in this country, Europe, you know, a few other places around the world that have uh, English language daily newspapers, you know, that, that's, that's pretty much who we pay attention. World opinion. What is it? What, UN bureaucrats? I don't give a crap what UN bureaucrats think about anything, really. So what's... What's the, you know, someone explain it to me. I'm, I'm just, you know, just wondering, what, what is world opinion? We're always told, oh, world opinion is turned against us. There was a piece that was written in all seriousness by the New York Times. Can China take the lead on climate change? Yeah, because when it comes to moral leadership, let's look to the one-child policy people. That's a good idea. Let's look to the country uh, that has decided that they will engage in countless human rights abuses. Um, it's amazing to me, amazing to me, how just off the rails people get with this stuff. Yeah, China's going to show global, global leadership on this. The, the country that also is upping its carbon output all the time and is polluting like, like it's nobody's business and doesn't care, by the way, and is using it for economic advantage. But sure, will they take the lead on on climate change? Uh, and then you you had some U.S. states. Uh, I saw this as well today. You have some U.S. states that are coming out and saying, and you know, Mayor Bloomberg, hello, it's Mayor Bloomberg. Uh, he's coming out there saying that they will find a way. Uh, what is this? Uh, this is from the Wall Street Journal. A day after President Donald Trump's decision. To pull out of the Paris Climate Accord, states and cities around the country uh, are vowing to adhere to their own aggressive climate policies independent of the federal government. Twenty states in Washington have adopted their own greenhouse gas emissions targets, according to the Center for Climate and Energy Solutions. Uh, and then they get into some other ones. None have gone further than California, which has emerged as a national leader on climate policy. Interesting side note. California leader on environmental policy, but can't manage its water resources. It's like in a, in a perpetual state of drought or near drought. But I'm sure they've got a handle on the whole CO2 thing and global warming and climate change, right? Let's trust the, the government of California to do that. The government of California also figured out that single-payer health care in their state would cost $400 billion, which is more than their entire budget, and they can't afford it, but they still want to go forward with it. That that came uh, that came out today too. So there's that team. Um, I need to get into Spicer and the "Do you believe in climate change?" question. I haven't forgotten about that. That got pushed off from the first hour. I'll get to that uh, shortly. Um, but ran there was a very interesting exchange, and and I know I was got I got a little too into oh David Gordon is the is the worst most shameful thing in the history. Of, oh David Gordon says it's shameful. It's like, why, why do I have to sit and, and be lectured by this guy? Like, you know, I mean, at CNN, they treat, it, they treat him like he's, you know, Gandalf the Wizard or something. And everyone needs to be like, oh, David Gargan speaking. Oh, the worst thing I've ever seen. It's so shameful. Like, well, what is, 
This guy's just nothing impressive. I mean, look, there are some very smart people over there that go on air over there. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that that it's a uh, it's just like lots of clowns, but uh, there are some people that they really elevate at the expense of others, right? So your opinion, if you're on with that guy, and there are others like this too, whatever you say is irrelevant because you know, like I said, it's you know, it's like Gandalf. Oh, Gandalf, tell us what's going on. You know, I like the Lord of the Rings. Uh, Although not an action movie, really, let's be honest. Fantasy genre. So we had to get rid of that from the action movie quote Friday intro. Uh, Rand Paul uh, talked to Jake Tapper over at uh, at the CNN. And there's a, it's a long exchange. I'm not going to play all of it for you because we got other things we got to do. Um, but it was a very interesting one because Rand Paul, hashtag science, is an MD. He's a medically trained doctor. Uh, and that you would think, means that there's some credibility that should be given to his sense of science. People say, well, he's not a climatologist. And I say, well, Bill Nye is a mechanical engineer and not an advanced one either, but he's supposedly a science guy. Uh, Rand Paul went to medical school for four years. A lot of math and science involved in both the application of medical school as well as the doing of the medical school. I know because I couldn't go because I was not particularly good at either of those things. Uh, and didn't have that much interest. I would have loved to have been a doctor except for all the studying math and science parts of it. Um, that would not have been, and, and like organic chemistry. That's not my jam. Um, but Rand Paul talked to Jake Tapper about the climate change agreement, and it went something like this, 73, please. If you look at the accord, even the intergovernmental committee that, that promotes all of this, even they say it might be 0.2 degrees over 100 years. And you also need to make sure your viewers know that most of their modeling has been wrong. They readjust their modeling every year because they haven't been very good at predicting things. Predicting the future is notoriously difficult. And this is uh, modeling is not an exact science. That's just the start, by the way, of where he goes with that argument. And it's it's a very important point. He also continues, Senator Paul continues and says, uh, you know, the, the fact that they've had to change. You don't have to be a scientist to know there's something up, right? The fact that they change the name uh, from global warming to climate change. And they they thought about changing it again to climate disruption, but that was just too much of, you know, word games. So they, they moved away from that. But they've been wrong many times in the past. We're talking about a very small degree of warming. You have the EPA uh, EPA chief... Scott Pruitt, also pointing out that if we did everything that these people that are so freaked out wanted us to do, it would be almost, if if we did everything, it would be effectively for the environment and for CO2, meaningless. This, This administration and the country as a whole, we have taken significant steps to reduce our CO2 footprint. To levels of the pre-1990s, what you won't hear, how do we achieve that? Largely because of technology, hydraulic fracturing, and horizontal drilling that has allowed a conversion to natural gas and the generation of electricity. You won't hear that from the environmental left. And so we need to export clean coal technology. We need to export uh, the technology and natural gas to those around the globe, India and China, and help them learn from us on how, what we've done to achieve good outcomes. Well... He also went on to say that it was very, very minimal environmental benefit. <laughs> Sorry, I played the played the wrong clip for you there. My bad. Um, but he's also making that was another important point, well worth your time to listen to about how the technology has, as I said to you yesterday, everything is decarbonizing anyway because it's becoming more efficient as the, as the technology advances. There is 
less of a CO2 byproduct. That is a naturally occurring process. So we don't need to worry about speeding it all along. All right. We got every line lit, so I want to start taking some uh, some calls here. Uh, Brett in New... Oh, I'm sorry. Brent in New Mexico. Welcome to the Freedom Hut, my friend. Hey, Buck. Shield tie, man. Shield tie. Hey, I've got a quote for you, and don't give me a hard time if the movie's horrible or whatever, but it's one of the 86 deals, so I'll do my best. But uh, here it goes. You won't do it. Murder is against the law. And then he goes, this is where the law stops and I begin. It's a Stallone movie. Cobra? I want you to get it. Cobra? Yeah. 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 Bam. That's it. Booyah. That's right, everybody. Thank you. I do what I can. Yeah, Cobra. Cobra. I think Cobra's kind of underrated, actually. I mean, it's ridiculous. I like it. But, yeah. It's a little scary, too. A little scary. Brent, Shields High, man. Thank you for calling in. I've been watching Penny Dreadful, by the way. I'm on season three of that. It's, it's a little scary. I'm not going to lie. It's a little, it's a little, this is, this is a little bit of a, you know, Penny Dreadful could give you nightmares. Be careful. But it's really good. a really good show if you're into all that stuff. That Victorian, that period of Victorian England, so many great horror characters uh, from, uh, Franken, Dr. Frankenstein, his monster, Dracula, obviously the greatest of all time in, in that genre. Um, uh, yeah, you've got Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You've got uh, Dorian Gray, not really a monster per se, but you know, same idea. The Wolfman, you got all kinds of cool stuff. So it's all in there. Penny Dreadful's pretty good, although a little a little salacious, I will say. So you know, it's a it's definitely it's a Showtime thing. It's eighteen plus. Um, Ryan in North Carolina, WPTI. Buck, how you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for calling in. All right. Hey, man, listen, I just want to say I appreciate your uh, patriotism and uh, looking out for the American, uh, the, the, the small guy here in middle America. Uh, and I'm just tired of, uh, you know, these liberals. I'm a small guy in Manhattan, man, so I feel, I feel you. But thank you. I, I appreciate it. It's absolutely amazing. And what I wanted to say, the point I was trying to make is that this outrage about Trump, it, this is liberalism 101. That's what it is. They play the victim. They, they, you know, they blow everything out of proportion, and that's what they do. And you know what, to be honest with you, Buck, I was one of these idiots about six or seven years ago that watched the mainstream media. I'd wake up and put uh, you know, one of those idiot channels on and listen to those morons. And one day I was I'm in sales, and I was driving down the road, and I'm flipping through the channels, and I started to listen to you guys, and I'm like, wow, this makes sense to me. This is amazing how they're 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 pulling the cover over our heads. This is absolutely absurd what they're doing. It it really is what they're doing right now. Yeah, it's uh, dishonest, man. Once you wake up to the dishonesty— then then you can't avoid picking up on it. You know, you, you see it all the time. Right. Once you get past that initial propagandizing of, oh, the media is just trying to tell you the facts or they don't have an agenda. The moment you realize that's all a lie, then you see the lies all the time. I've, I've seen the light, man. I've seen the lies. I've heard the lies. And you know what? Since then, I, I don't even I don't even turn. I, I turn on the TV to watch the weather. Other than that, I watch Fox News in the morning to listen to a, a, a uh, you know a, 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 a point of view that is you know in both directions, as I should say. Uh, but I just appreciate what you're doing for our country, 
We love you. We're here for you. We're here for President Trump. And just keep what you're doing, and we're behind you 100%. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's very I, kind of you, and I do appreciate that. And uh, it's an honor to have you as, as part of Team Buck, Ryan. Thank you. Shields high. Um, yep. Uh, take another take another call. We got to – I love this. People love calling on Fridays. It's cool. It's like we're all hanging out. I know the weekend's here, and you know, I don't have to give you – I don't have to do the – funeral oration by Pericles or something, you know, we can hang out you know, during the rest of the week. I come in and I've got an, I've got a, uh, a, a research agenda that I want to get to throughout the show Friday. I still do, but a little less so. And I want to hear as much from, from you guys as, as you want to call in, uh, John in Georgia. Hi Buck. Hey John, what's up? Oh, not much. I'm a huge fan of yours. I was listening to your last uh, show. And as I always say, when I call in, I'm one of your podcast minions. Oh, rock and roll, man. Podcast family. I appreciate that. Podcast. Holding it down. So I called to do, um, you know, talk a little bit about the climate change nonsense and also do uh, action movie quote, if you like. Sure. Why don't we do action movie quote first? And then maybe we'll do the uh, other thing after. Go ahead. All right. Do you want medium or more difficult? I don't know. I mean, whatever, whatever you've got for me, Chief, it's just got to be good. Okay, I'll, I'll throw medium at you. Um, all right. What do you want me to do? Kill him again? Uh, that's, that's, a, that's tough. All right, hit the buzz. I, 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 what is that? That's from The Rock, where... Oh, Sean Connery uh, and the Sean guy's foot Sean is twitching. Connery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right, and, fair and, enough. I mean, that's a short it, quote, but I'll, it I'll take it. It's like... Yeah, can you can you stop that? And he's like, "What do you want me to do? Kill him again?" Yeah. So, All right, you got me. That, that one's hard. The other one was harder. So, I could I, we could easily do 35 minutes on on climate change because I've been kind of studying the language around it. And just like you think about when they use the term greenhouse gases, right? Well, that that term is used to kind of conjure up an image in your mind of being in a greenhouse and how hot it feels in a greenhouse and how all of this you know, carbon dioxide in the, around these plants, uh, it, it makes it feel so hot. But if you, if you look up the, um, the parts per million of CO2 in our atmosphere, it's about 420 right now. Perfect for growing weed, by the way. Oh, John, can we, can, um, we, uh, can, can we bring you on the other side of the break? I want to hear what you're saying, but we have to go into a break yeah. here to hit our spot. So let me – we'll hold you through. we got every other line's lit, too. We'll get a lot of calls, guys. Freestyle Friday. That's what it means. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Team Buck. We've got John in Georgia on the line, continuing on with some climate change talk. Sir, the floor is yours. So we were talking about how they frame uh, and the use of language and narrative. So they use terms like greenhouse gases, which elicits an image in your mind of being in a greenhouse. Have you ever been in a greenhouse? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's hot and unpleasant, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, but the thing is, is that Right now, parts per million, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is about 420 parts per million. It has deviated between 370 and 500, but right now it's 420. In a greenhouse, if you're running a greenhouse properly and you're trying to grow plants in it, it's 1,500 parts per million. Now, how many factories would we have to build? How many SUVs would we have to drive? How many, you know, how much fossil fuels would we have to burn to get the atmosphere on planet Earth to 1,500? We couldn't do it. 
if we wanted to, if we set off every nuclear weapon in our arsenals, we couldn't get it to 1,500 parts per million. Well, that's so, why I found it fascinating that someone like a David Gergen, not to keep bringing this guy up, uh, but that he would go on TV and say excess carbon dioxide. Well, what's nor- what's normal carbon dioxide, or what what is the excess? The excess to them would be the difference between 370 parts per million and 420 parts per million. I mean, it's a trace gas in the atmosphere, and it's plant food. It's the same thing, like, if you ever see, um, like, when, like in, in California, there was a referendum about, you know, greenhouse gases and global warming and climate change and, and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And they want, they want you to vote for it. So what they do is they show you factories billowing black smoke, and they show you close-up of those black smoke coming out of these smokestacks. Carbon dioxide is colorless and odorless, right? Yeah. You know, they're, they're doing a bait and switch there. They're, they're basically. Oh, well, 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 a lot of environmentalist stuff. I mean, whenever environmentalists want to get money, it's always it's always a shot that comes from like, uh, you know, the, the, the Yellowstone National Park at sunset or something. And it's like, do you want this? And then they switch. Or do you want a landfill? You know, it's always like Bambi yeah. in the most bucolic setting. And then these evil Republicans just want to smear all the seagulls with oil. You know, I mean, that, that's the choice that we're, we're supposedly given. I'm so I'm so glad you brought that one up because obviously I love animals and I spend all my time doing animal rescue when I'm not at work. But and I love birds. And you see these you see these ducks, you see these sea uh, fowl covered in oil, and it breaks your heart. And so what the environmentalists say is, see, this is why we need wind farms. And it's like, wait a minute, do you know you know wind farms kill about 150,000 birds a year? I was telling people that yesterday. Red birds. Yeah, they, they, you know, if you want, if you want to save birds, the last thing you want is wind. They are, they are, you know, foul shredders. They are foul shredders. Um, you, do you like Thomas Stoll? Yeah, he's great. But we got twenty seconds yeah. before we're in the break, so if, uh, I, I, I can get it in. I can get it in. Thomas Stoll has one of my favorite quotes, and that is, "In life, there are no solutions, only trade-offs." And I think that is the. Truer words have never been spoken. Oh, certainly on the climate, it's the case. John, thanks for the great call from Georgia. Team, uh, let's talk about uh, White House Spicer and your calls after this break. Do you believe in climate change? Do you believe in magic? Um... Do you believe in climate change? Uh, well, climate change is kind of like a form of magic, I guess. It's not real the way they think it's real. It involves a lot of illusions. Um, so that's the question that they pose. They keep asking this. Earlier in the week it was asked, in fact, at a press conference, and they keep pushing it now with Sean Spicer, who is in, is turning around and saying with some frequency now, uh, we're not going to answer that. So why have these? Uh, by the way, I think this whole thing of, just giving members of the media an opportunity to to get on a, a soapbox and, and make uh, try to score political points under the guise of like advancing journalism. It's just nonsense. I mean, once in a while, sure, but they do this as often as they're doing it. To me, it's just crazy. It just creates viral moments, viral video moments of people uh, lambasting the administration. Or is it lamb- lambasting? Lambaste? Lambast? Tomato? Tomato? Uh, but do you believe in climate change is the question they ask. And 
I, I was thinking, I was trying to come up with an analogy last night for this because it's such a, it is such a loaded question. Because if you say yes, then you have to go along with everything else. And if you don't go along with everything else, then they will accuse you of not believing in climate change. So they force this incredibly binary uh, decision on you. And if you answer no, of course, well, then you're just like to be then, then you're to be destroyed. But if you if you say yes and then you say, I, I believe in climate change, but I don't think it's as serious or I believe in climate change, but I don't think there's that much we can do about it. Any any version of yes, but when you're talking about climate change, unacceptable heresy. It is heresy. You are a heretic. Remember what they used to do with heretics back in, like, Middle Ages and stuff? It was, it was bad. They did bad bad things to heretics. You didn't want to be caught up in that whole thing. Um, and in a sim- they do, well, they don't do similar stuff today, but I'm saying in a similar way today, it's very bad to be a heretic on climate change. Which also is why when they bring up all these CEOs, like, oh, all these masters of business, you know, these uh, masters of the universe that run these businesses, that they, they're all for climate change. Yeah, because they don't want their kids to be, like, harassed by the teachers in school and they don't want to be picketed, and they, you know, they realize that this is, uh, this is, in a way of avoiding PR damage. And, and by the way, I, I, I don't, I don't care at all what uh, you know some hedge fund billionaire thinks about climate change. He's not a scientist either. I mean, this is all nonsense, right? Oh, you know, this is what Elon Musk thinks of climate change. Yeah, but like build the fancy cars. I, I don't really want to hear about it. Oh, he's a genius. Okay, yeah, fine. But you know what? There are plenty of geniuses on other stuff that are wrong on this. Um, I, I find it uh, very, well, I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep myself on track. And some of you who email me say, Buck, I like your radio show very much, but I need you to stay on task. So I'm going to do that. Uh, do you believe in climate change? To me, it's like asking a question along the lines of, uh, do you believe in Western medicine? Which I, I've had my own... Uh, trials and tribulations of, uh, of of health, you know, nothing too too serious. But I've I've dealt with stuff, you know. And one thing that I that I would talk to you about is, for example, I have I have had uh, headaches in the past that just wouldn't go away, and had seen all kinds of uh, neurologists. And my experience with neurologists was that they are they will put you through. They all put you through the same test. And if you have a, an, you know, a possible I forget, a dissection, I think it's called, which can lead to an aneurysm, or if you have something structurally wrong in the brain, that's who you want to see, right? You want to see neurologists. But if you just go in there and you say, look, I've got headaches, and they're not going away, I don't know what's going on, not really that much that they, at least for me, not much they can do for you. They can try a couple of different medicines and whatever. And so I tried some what you would call non-Western therapy, just essentially uh different versions of physical therapy, you could say. And for me, it, it was like, a, that worked. So if somebody says to me, well, do you believe in Western medicine? I'd say, well, of course. i say, well, does Western medicine have all the answers? I would say, in my experience, no, it does not. You know, there are other modalities and treatments that one should, that doesn't mean that I am not going to take, uh, you know, doxycycline if I have some kind of infection or something, right? It doesn't mean that I I reject all of it. I just don't think that it's a perfect answer for all things all the time. Same thing with climate change. Do I think the climate is changing? Yeah, sure. Do I think that there's probably some impact that human beings are having on the climate? I mean, yeah, probably. I mean, I you know, it's 
you could take this at the level of the uh, of, of a chaos theory. You know, what's it? Uh, Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park. You know, a butterfly flaps its wings here, and you get like a hurricane in Shanghai or something. I forget what the line is, but I mean, I'm sure human activity has some impact on it. Do I think that it's a big thing that we should be scared about? No. Do I think that it's something that even if we really wanted to, we could change all that much? No. Do I think that if we tried to change it dramatically, we would do really bad things to ourselves without good reason? Yes. But none of that is contained in the answer to, to do you believe in climate change? But the, it, that's why when they say believe, it's so important. Do you accept climate change would be another way you could put it. But they say, do you believe? Do you believe? And it's because it is a belief. It is based in a whole lot of faith. And as others have aptly pointed out, and I would say to you as well, there is certainly a very clear linkage between climate change and that place in the brain that for many of us is filled with religious belief. But you see, we reckon, those of us, for example, who are Christian, and I was raised Catholic, and those of us who are Christian or listening, if you're Jewish or if you're uh, Hindu or Muslim or whatever, it doesn't matter. Just those of us who have a, a religious belief, understand that it is a religious belief, right? Understand that there is a faith component to it. In fact, people refer to the faith-based community. What I find so interesting about those who uh, believe so strongly in climate change and have such a, an emotional, visceral response to all this stuff is that they don't recognize it as belief. They think it is. They think it is a it is, it is a fact that does not require any faith whatsoever. And that's why it's so that's why it's so disruptive to them and and that's why they view heretics as so dangerous because it's not a question of having faith in anything. This is just the way it is. And other people have to accept that. You see that's the that's the thing about facts. They are what they are. It doesn't matter what you think. People who are faith-based say, no, I, I have faith in something. It, it is a belief. It is personal to me. And they understand that, they're, uh, th that this is not the way that everyone is going to view it or that not the way that everyone is going to think about it and that there is a, a leap of faith even. Um, and now, I mean, I could get into a discussion of, uh, well, Catholic faith transubstantiation and uh, miracles they, they, the climate, uh, climate change alarmists, they don't think that they're dealing with a religious belief, but they really are. And it, it is a system. Of, and this is why they have the reactions they do. I mean, you could see this, right? The way that people who are climate alarmists respond to inquiry about climate change, questions about climate change, is the way that some fundamentalists in the uh, Muslim faith, for, for example, will, will respond to depictions of the Prophet Muhammad which is just with, with, with blinding fury and outrage over something that would seem to non-believers like pretty trivial, pretty small. It's just, it, it hits the same parts of the brain. So it, it's similar. You can, you can draw out those similarities when you uh, and analyze it, honestly. Um, Spicer, by the way, I, I've been saying we're going to get to Spicy, and I have been giving Spicy his proper time here on the show today. It looks like he's going to be around. I don't know. I keep reading about how there's going to be a White House shakeup, and then there's not a White House shakeup uh, of the communications team. I think they could use one. Uh, part of the problem is that a lot of people that are on the right who are really good at communications uh, have jobs they like a lot and make a lot of money, and to go work for this White House right now would be uh, a shift. Would be a shift. That's for sure. 
Um, but here's what he said about the possibility of renegotiating the the uh, Paris Accord. So I want to talk about renegotiation. Why renegotiate? The United States has the authority to simply reduce uh, the targets. Why not just do that? Because the president believes that it is in our country's best interest uh, to, to renegotiate the deal. Um, other people have said, other countries have said they won't renegotiate it. You would think that if the earth was in the, or the future of the planet was hanging in the balance, wouldn't they at least be willing to try? No, no, of course not. No, they're... The world will end if we don't do this deal, but they're going to take their ball home and, and with them and hide it from everybody unless because we won't play their way. Hmm. That seems that seems a bit that seems a bit strange to me, I have to say. Um, what else did I want? Uh, you know what? I'm going to hit a quick break and then we're going to do some calls and we're going to switch up topics. And uh, I will get into the Kathy, Kathy Griffin. She gave a it was kind of a non-apology because now she's in victim status. Now she's trying to. She is trying to turn this around and capitalize on it. Oh, my. Uh, Hillary's self-pity and how I... I know some of you are going to get mad at me for saying this because I, I, I find Hillary to be as um, unscrupulous and grotesque as I'm sure almost any of you. But I do have a basic sense of, of, of pity for someone like that as well. But you'll have to listen to how I frame that one. It's I, I get into some, some detail there. And then... Uh, Harvard and uh, graduations that are pre-graduations that are based on uh, ethnic or uh, identity group, which to me is so contrary to the espoused, we are all, you know, we're all one community devoted to diversity. But uh, anyway, I'll get there. That's all coming up in the next hour. So uh, team, stay with me. I'll be right back. Susie in Maryland on the iHeart app. What's up, Susie? Hey, Buck. Great to talk to you. You too. Hey, um, first-time caller, um, long-time listener, thank you so much. just want to say, first off, thank you for your intelligent, articulate discussion of relevant matters across the world. It's really refreshing to find that nowadays. Thank you so much. I appreciate thank that. Thank you. Yeah. So what I wanted to say about the climate change, um, I'm an engineer. I worked in California and Maryland, and I've been subjected to a lot of leftist environmentalists over the years, and it's just interesting to see how they perceive um, the economy in relation to their ultimate greater good, which is saving Mother Earth. And there's all this talk about cost, but they don't really care about the cost of the economy to jobs because it's all a necessary sacrifice to get to their ultimate goal of saving the Earth. And right. What could compare, Susie, with saving the planet? I mean, nothing. And in fact, and I don't mean to go here, but people can get to a pretty dark, uh, dark place quickly when they think that their actions are saving the planet and therefore all of all of humanity. It's a fair philosophical question to ask, what are they not willing to do? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And if you alter if you offer up another point of view or something and they're totally not open to it. And there's a very spiritual component to their obsession with with saving the earth and it's just so interesting to try to engage conversation and as you mentioned as you bring up other things they just they just try to shoot you down and it's it's just 
really unproductive. I always think it's right. it's funny too when you have people, and of course, there's all the hypocrisy of the the Al Gore's and the DiCaprio's of the world. These la- these mouthpieces for climate change alarmism who fly over in private jets and live in huge mansions and go around in gas guzzling super yachts and all of this. But just also how many people you'll see who decide to step out in public on this issue. And, you know, they live in like a, in, a, in a mansion in Beverly Hills, but all they want to talk about are, are, are the wetlands and, and threatened species in the North Woods. And you're just like, did, have you ever even like been to a wetland? What are you even talking about? Oh, definitely. Yeah, the owner of the environmental company I worked for in um, California, she owned a Land Rover. Um, you know, of course, of course. But, you know, she cared about the environment and all, all that. The, the hypocrisy is unbelievable. I've seen it across the spectrum, especially in California and, and Maryland, environmental regulations. Yeah, well, isn't, isn't it saying, it, was, it, uh, no, wait, was it Augustine who said, uh, give me chastity, but not yet? With a lot of these environmentalists, it's, you know, give me environmentalism, but not yet. They don't actually want to take any drastic <laughs> steps in their own lives. It's for everybody else. No. Yeah. No, but they're very quick to point out what you can do, and and I'm glad you mentioned that. You point out the hypocrisy all the time, and and they get very upset when you would point that out to them. And of course, they turn it around on you. But it, it just from you know being an engineer, it's it's just an interesting experience to actually work with these people and interact with them on a daily basis, where you really get a feel for how they think about things. It's, it's just it's disturbing. So Susie Shields, hi. Thank you so much for a great call from Maryland. I appreciate it. Um, Don in Delaware. What's up, Don? Hey, how you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, with saving the planet, something I don't ever hear talked about is erosion. I lived on an island in the Chesapeake, and their biggest worry was the water eroding the island. They put in dikes and everything else. Smith Island in the Chesapeake is being eroded away. The shoreline around Galveston, they worry about. There's nothing you can do about it, but there's nobody talking about it. And that's taking more land away than... Uh, rising in the uh, level of the sea the sea yeah but erosion is a naturally occurring process right i know exactly it's exactly right it happens and so there are a lot of things that, that they're trying to get under control nature's going to do things yeah. and one of the problems you run into in this debate don is that just by stating uh, by recognizing reality it's almost as though you advocate for things right so you say soil erosion is a problem and more so than than the climate change rise the seas, and it's like, well, are you pro soil erosion? You know, when I say hurricanes happen, it has nothing to do with climate change. It's not because I'm pro hurricane. I'm just saying hurricanes happen. Yep, it all depends on where you live and what's happening to you. Yeah, I hear you, Don. Have a great weekend, man. Shield tie. Right, um, Maggie in Mississippi, WBUV. Hey, Buck. Hey, hey Buck. How are you doing today? I'm good. So, yeah, I, I, I can concur with that. You know, you can actually see Al Gore, Mr., as I used to call him when I was little, uh, I used to call him Chicken Little, Mr., the sky is falling, the sky is falling, oh, global warming, global warming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Uh, you can actually see his house in, uh, I think it's Nashville, from satellites because of all the lights from his, ha- from his mansion. Oh yeah, of course. And I mean, he's he's a, he is a phony of epic proportions. I mean, he he goes in the pantheon of all-time great climate phonies. He might be he might be number one. But yet they sit there. They sit, you know, the liberals sit there and they they take their private jets. They take their their private jets all over the place. They're they're the ones that put all the CO two 
they put the CO2 in our atmosphere. But if we plant, you know, for, if we plant, you know, rather than cut down all these trees and forests that we do to build their mansions, if they, if they plant them instead of cutting them down, you know, we wouldn't have the CO2 problem. Well, I don't think CO2 is a problem, period. But Maggie, I want you to have a fantastic weekend. Thank you for joining me and calling in as always. Uh, Shields high. Um, all right, real quick, Felix in Pennsylvania, WAEB. We got a movie quote. We've got a minute. What do you got? Hey, Buck, uh, I want to commemorate the passing of Roger Moore, uh, James Bond, a prey, Sean Connery, uh, the, the day of the Manchester attack, actually. And uh, anyway, he was in a movie, an action movie. It's, uh, ahead of your time was a great movie. And the line was, no need praying for a stomach pump. I laced it with strychnine. I have absolutely no idea. Have you ever seen a movie called The Flight of the Wild Geese? No, I've never even heard of it. But Oh, my gosh. You have to watch it. It's a movie about mercenaries. All right. Felix, maybe me, Tequila, this weekend. I might get to it, man. Shields High, thank you for calling. Um, team, we got, uh, I said, a bunch of topics next hour. Kathy Griffin's faux apology that she's turning around now into a PR, uh, well, trying to take it into a PR win, which is crazy. Uh, also talk to you about these graduations at Harvard and other places and Hillary. We got a lot of stuff. Be right back. The Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. Are you not entertained? The Buck is back. In your face comedy, I keep it real. I, I, I'm going to make fun of the president. And you know what? I'm going to make fun of him more now. More. So I'm not going to threaten him. I have no desire to harm him or anyone. I would never want to harm anybody. But, you know, I've made fun of W. I made fun of Clinton. Oh, God, remember the Monica dress days? Those were the days. You could make dress jokes all day long, and nobody tried to kill you. You shouldn't have to die for this. I'm under a Secret Service investigation. And the first family did not come after you with any of the other presidents. You know, it is yes. so unpresidential. So she is a... Victim now. That's Kathy Griffin, and she is a victim of the president's uh, and the pre the first family. Th this is mind blowing. You know, I I initially when I spoke to you about this, uh, whatever it was earlier in the week, uh, I said that she would get away with it. That Kathy Griffin, because it's the left and you're progressive and it's Trump and it's the era of Trump and you can hate the president and threaten the president and it's just completely different rules than what was true in the past and that was my first reaction to it as soon as i saw this thing where she was holding the the photo of the severed head of trump i i knew that it was inappropriate because any normal sentient human being would and, and that it was way over the line and it wasn't funny by the way which also should i think factor into whether we give a comedian leeway with something or not it wasn't funny at all and my first reaction to you guys earlier in the, earlier in the week was uh, that she would get away with it. And, you know, the next day it was, oh, no, there's all this backlash. And, you know, you know, all this sanctimonious CNN anchors who hate Trump and are basically going on TV every night saying that the president of the United States is a traitor, is a Russian double agent, is, you know. Uh, but they're, oh, this was not, uh, this was not appropriate. I'm, I'm totally going to back off from this. Oh, this is, Kathy Griffin should be ashamed of herself. So for a day it was, or two, it was, oh, 
she's she's finally gone too far. They're gonna they're gonna fire her from hosting New Year's Eve uh, with CNN. I'm sure that she's wildly overpaid for that, as she's probably been wildly overpaid for many things. But it is one night, everybody. That's not like her only job. This isn't this isn't this woman's livelihood now up in smoke. And and I'm I'm not somebody who advocates for uh, boycotts or uh, advocates for using pressure against people for their political beliefs, economic pressure. Um, but I mean, there are some lines of decency. But, you know, my first reaction to this was that she'd get away with it. And the next day it looked like uh, there were some consequences. But my first reaction was correct because she will get away with this because she will have a career because it's Trump. The rules are different, everybody. Oh, I know. She she was dumb enough and blatant enough that the left abandoned her for like a minute. Right. That that is true. Uh, but they'll let they will resurrect her career. She will be OK. Um, and, and now and you have to love this instead of uh, disappearing from public view for a while to let things blow over, uh, which if you're a conservative, you would do that. And well, first of all, if you're a conservative, and you're a comedian. Good luck, because they're, they're always going to find some way to call you a, a racist or a xenophobe or something. Right. Just if, because you're like so. And you don't even have to be a Republican and somebody who's into politics. If you're just reasonable, rational and traditional in your view of things, uh, you will be annihilated by the left. That's just the way the game is played now. That's how it works. But you might if, as you, if you were a, a considered to be conservative or considered to be a Republican uh, on the right, and you transgressed in this way like Kathy Griffin, you would disappear for a while and hope you could come back, and they'd probably never let you back. Kathy Griffin is playing the victim card, everybody. The victim card. And she is turning this into a a PR stunt that will, uh, I think in the long term, I, I, you know, it seems crazy right now. She might even have thought this whole thing was worth it. You know, because she's got two things. She is now uh, claiming that Trump is, well, first of all, that she's being censored and that everyone's taking this too seriously. And I I figured that would be the case. But now, because there are mean people out there, there are death threats against her for what she is saying about the, or what she rather showed in in the photo about the president, she's the victim because the Secret Service is investigating her for what, was clearly, under any normal uh, interpretation of the laws around this stuff, uh, could be con- could be considered a threat against the president. And as I said to you, as importantly, uh, it creates an environment where threats and violent thoughts about the president uh, are uh, see, are normalized and could seem more uh, acceptable, which is also un- which is also unacceptable. Uh, that, but she's she's now saying the Secret Service investigation into her is some kind of persecution. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. This woman, yesterday it's, oh, she's her career is ruined, and this is so unfair. And today she's giving a press conference and she's making jokes, claiming she's a victim, and she's just doing comedy. I'm just doing comedy. Uh, one, it wasn't funny. And two... You don't have a right to be a celebrated, famous, and overpaid comedian who, who is also, I should note, uh, a propagandist for the left. 
this is one of the most annoying things about comedians today, and this is going on for a long time, going on for, for decades, really, is that they want us to take them seriously. You know, Bill Maher is one of these people. You know, take me seriously when I have my serious voice tone. Uh, you know, take me seriously when I want to talk about big boy stuff. Uh, but the moment that I get into trouble when I'm talking about big boy stuff, oh, I'm just a comedian. I, I'm just I'm just here to make jokes about you know body parts and flatulence and what you know whatever else, right? I'm just here to drop uh, a curse word here and there for shock value and to make people laugh. Well, uh, are you to be taken seriously on issues of policy and politics or not? You know, are, are you part of the discussion and do you have to defend ideas or not? I mean, one of the worst examples I ever saw of this actually was when uh, in that infamous clip when Tucker Carlson, when he worked at CNN, had Jon Stewart on and Jon Stewart's attacking Tucker and Tucker tries to respond and say, well, look what you do on your show. He goes, well, my show is a comedy show. I mean, The Daily Show would have on the president. The Daily Show would have on secretaries of state and, and, and ask real questions and expect real answers but only if it's within the progressive Democrat orthodoxy, right? I mean, or, or, or to pile on to a Republican and to attack a Republican. But the moment somebody would get the upper hand, oh, I'm, I'm just a comedian, right? You know, th then they retreat into the shell of, I'm just a comedian, man. I'm just a guy who has a show with the lead-in of puppets making crank phone calls. Kathy Griffin, it's the same thing. I'm just a comedian. This is my craft. But, I mean, the president's crazy, right? Like, we all should... We all should be able to talk about how the president's crazy and people around him are nuts and they're racist. And but 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 I'm just a comedian. Uh, there is this widespread childishness uh, among entertainers when it comes to politics because they they want to be they want to be at the big boy table or the big girl table. I know that's kind of a patriarchy microaggression that I even say that. So I say it on purpose. They want to be at the big boy table when they want to be, but they don't want the responsibility of it. You know, Kathy Griffin wants the response. She, she wants the benefits of fame, having a platform, having a huge social media following, being on CNN. She wants all of that, but she doesn't want any responsibility attached to it. She wants to be able to cross the line like an idiot and have nothing happen as a result of that. And by the way, this whole thing of, eh, you know, getting threats from Trump supporters. Talk to my friends at National Review. They get threats from Trump supporters. I mean, to talk to people who write an article about how transgenderism is nonsense because a man can't become a woman, and that's just hashtag science and hashtag reality, and they get death threats. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. Anyway, Kathy Griffin playing the victim card. No surprise there. Team, we are going to hit a quick break. We will be right back. unprecedented interference, including from a foreign power whose leader uh, is not a member of my fan club. I mean, did we make mistakes? Of course we did. Did I make mistakes? Oh my gosh, yes, you know, you'll read my confession and my, <laughs> my request for absolution. But the reason why I believe we lost were the intervening events in the last 10 days. So Hillary takes responsibility in that she doesn't take responsibility. You know, she's been getting attention recently by the media. I think it's really funny to watch this play out because you'll see they, they try to bring they try to make Hillary happen again. They try to bring her back as a, a voice in 
uh, public discussion over politics. And when it doesn't work, they go, oh, well, you, know. you should just leave Hillary alone. Well, stop trying to force Hillary down everyone's throats. I love being in your throats. I'm Hillary in your ears. No, no, we, we don't want we don't need it anymore. There are over 300 million people in this country. Hillary Clinton had quite a run, based on very little in my opinion, but quite a run. Secretary of State, a U.S. Senator, First Lady for two terms, through some very interesting times in that White House. It's time for her to just be a person. You know, I, I want to have some degree of basic sympathy for her. I, I'm not somebody who likes to see bad things happen to people just because I disagree with their politics. Uh, I don't take pleasure in the uh, the pain or the failures or the degradations uh, on a personal level of those who just happen to disagree with me on, on political issues. And, and I think we always have to be on guard against that. But with Hillary Clinton, she, she gives some of us no choice because there's nothing we can do to get away from her. They just absolutely will not allow this to be a situation where she moves on. She doesn't seem to want to move on, and she should. Uh, there are other things to which she could turn her attention. I, I, would, I would like to have sympathy. I, I know Charles Krauthammer was on Fox last night, and he said he feels sorry for her, and Tucker Carlson also said the same thing. And, and I, I kind of understand that. You see, the one thing that keeps people like Hillary Clinton and, and the Clintons, I think, Bill and Hillary going, uh, through all of the personal failings, through all of the stress and drama and uh, deceptions and betrayals, and what keeps them going is victory and the power that is attached to victory. I, I think if you're Hillary Clinton, you can justify... Uh, putting up with a lot, dealing with a lot as a result of being Bill Clinton's wife and, and putting yourself through all of that because there was a purpose to it, right? There was a, a reason uh, to stay at Bill's side through his years in the White House and, of course, before that in Arkansas when he was the governor. But when there's no brass ring to grab anymore, then you just have to turn around and face the rest of, well— face what has happened in the past and also then face the rest of your days ahead. But when you can't just throw yourself into the political uh, the, the political fray, it's like people who are workaholics. It's an escape, and I understand this. You throw yourself into your work at a level where it, it blocks out everything else because it's a, it's a form of numbing you from the pain of personal and, and other failures, anxieties, what what really bonds us all together as humans is loss and failure and uh, frustration. And of course, all there's, you know, beauty and happiness and family and love, too. But, you know, one thing that is a is uniquely unifying among humanity is uh, that we, we all have our our failures, our frustrations. Uh, we all wish certain things had gone differently than they than they had. And some of us try to just deal with those, uh, those shortcomings, those problems, those painful memories. Uh, others try to mask them or hide from them. And I think, I know, I know I'm doing uh, like 
pop psychoanalysis here of Hillary Clinton. I am not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, nor do I play one on radio. But with the presidency looming, there was there was always a justification. There was always a rationalization for whatever she was doing. Whoever she had to be on any given day, she would be because that's what was necessary for her to become the president. Now you have somebody who is very famous, uh, very wealthy, and I'm sure has at some level a dread of the recognition that what does it all mean? You know, I, I think someone like Hillary Clinton, not in the way Barack Obama is a different case because he's still beloved and by the left and is is going to be influential in Democrat politics for a long time. I don't think the Clinton brand has much worth or merit anymore in American politics. I do believe they'll try to resurrect it at some future point with Chelsea Clinton, but I don't see them. Uh, in the years ahead, being kingmakers or even people who would be invited to the king's court for their opinion. I don't think it will matter much. And this is a, a, a trial balloon era. What's going on now with the media trying to bring Hillary back out there? They want to see what the reaction is. Because a lot of people at the different news outlets had been counting on a Hillary victory because they knew they would have had access and that would have been good for their career. A Hillary victory would have meant very positive things for them because they're tied into Hillary's people. And you know, now, sure, there'll be Democrats who just go from one candidate to another. And so that access will still have some value. But those who had been thinking that they would have access, direct personal access and con connectivity to the president of the United States for their media careers, that's all that's all changed. Uh, I, I just I, I think it's interesting and. There's something a little pathetic about, and that's what I wanted to go to. And I make fun of Hillary, and I will continue to, because she's a public figure, and she's pretty uh, odious in a number of ways. Uh, but I, she is a human being, and, and I, I, I do recognize that there's something really just, there is something sad about running for president twice, losing twice, and now... Uh, grasping for a rationale. You see, everyone else thinks she's grasping for a rationale as to why she lost, and that's true. But I also think I see this in her statements and just from reading so much about a person, I think she's grasping for a why. Why does she now do the things that she does? Uh, sure, there's always going to be money to be made and appearances to give and she's going to want to feel important and I'm not, I'm not saying Hillary Clinton is just going to be going for one long proverbial walk, uh, walk in the woods for the foreseeable future as she's been talking about uh, but the motivation had been to be president for really almost almost 20 years now that's been her that's been her uh, mo that's been what she's up to and now it forces her to I think grapple with the reality she is forced to grapple with the reality that that's just never going to happen. And that's what forces her to make statements like this. It was bankrupt. It was on the verge of insolvency. Its data was mediocre to poor, non-existent, wrong. I'm not going anywhere. I have a big stake in what happens in this country. Um, I, you know, I am uh, very, uh, you know, un unbowed and unbroken 
I mean, did you did you buy that? Did, did she sound did she sound convincing to you? She's about as convincing there in defeat as she was on the campaign trail uh, when there was just there was no why. You see, the, the the why was to become president, but that's not compelling. That's not real. And now that she can't become president, the question of why to someone like Hillary Clinton, I think, is terrifying. Uh, I think that she has a lot of uh, there are a lot of demons or a lot of things from her past that must be difficult to face now because power has a way of of pushing aside and masking all that victory. Success can let people think that everything is fine for a while. But when victory is unattainable or when success fades, then uh, once again, we're all human beings and we have to stare those shortcomings and those frustrations and those losses and those times when perhaps we uh, bent and maybe even broke our own code. We have to look at that. And I think Hillary's dealing with that right now. We'll be right back. My little sister graduated from law school last month. Uh, which is great. I'm so happy and and proud. Um, and she did a fantastic job there. I wasn't at her graduation, uh, but she told me she didn't want me to go. Uh, but I, I heard that the usual uh, social justice activist rhetoric that is now present at, at all graduations, it seems, or at least a vast majority of them, uh, that that happened. And I remember from my own college graduation, it's that time of year, right? We're schools are finishing up, you're having commencement speeches, and so uh, this is when, uh, as an issue, you may hear of some uh, commencement speeches or even ceremonies. Uh, at my own at Amherst, professor, I mean, uh, president, not professor, or I guess he's a professor too, Marx, gave a speech about the need to educate more low-income students, uh, which to my parents, who had to pay far too much money, bless them and thank them, uh, for me to go to a college that should have taken two years and wasn't nearly the ticket to success that all the brochures uh, pretend that it is. Uh, I thought it was a, a slap in the face. I thought it was disrespectful. There are a, a lot of families that are middle-class families that save, that prepare, and spend a ton of money to send their children to college, and somehow they're lumped in with the families that have buildings named after them and, and just get to go to the school and it's all so easy. And it, it really is uh, commonplace now to degrade the contributions of the parents of white middle-class students on these uh, campuses during commencement ceremonies. Uh, professors just don't really care much uh, about that. They want to give or they want to take the opportunity and give a speech about how they are so socially justice-minded or social justice-minded. Um, so that's one thing to just put out there. But I read this piece in the New York Times, and I got to tell you, it just, there's nothing that surprises me anymore on these campuses because anything is possible. There are now alternative, there are alternative commencements on college campuses across the country uh, there was one at the University of Delaware recently. Uh, there was one at Columbia University and even Harvard. Yes, mighty, I would say, much overvalued and overestimated. But Harvard University has 
alternative commencements, meaning diversity graduation, meaning that people set aside a, a well, they self-select as a group and set aside a time and go to a place to celebrate a commencement that is just of that identity group. Uh, this you could call, I guess, a, a diversity commencement or a, a, a diversity graduation. Now, given all of the lip service that we hear from these college administrators and in the broader society, by the way, uh, given how much we hear about the need to have greater uh, ethnic diversity in, in every facet of life, um, you would think that commencement, in this case of an undergraduate program where students have been together for four years, is one of the few moments when the entire student body, it might be the only moment, it was, well, uh, it wasn't even the whole student body, it was just my class, but it might be the only moment that that entire class gathers in one place for any meaningful period of time. You'd think that that would be in some way, the, the most unifying moment in the life of a college class, their commencement, their graduation. They made it. Yay. Now they all get these very expensive degrees. I remember at my school, it was a big uh, to do as to whether you were going to get your diploma or whatever. Yeah. Degree diploma um, on paper or on a form of parchment that involves lamb skin. I obviously went with the lamb, but that was uh, there was some virtue signaling there with what are you going to have your degree printed on? Uh, but at Harvard, just this uh, last month or last month, they had a diversity commencement for African-American students. So a group of it's all self-selected. They've decided to do this on their own. A group of black students gathers together and celebrates a separate graduation ceremony. They also go to the main graduation ceremony. I'm not going to make this sound like it's even uh, more uh, unusual sounding than, than it is, um, but they celebrate their own African-American student-only graduation before the official graduation. How this is not seen as contrary to the stated ethos of bringing together all these different people united in goals of becoming good citizens of the future, of course, citizens of the world, not of any one country, because, you know, any kind of patriotism instilled in universities, that's very passe. They don't do that anymore. Uh, but you're all Harvard men and women, you would think, at the graduation. But no, in fact, there is a um, selection, a self-selection process that is occurring among different identity groups where they just want to step back from this and do their own version of a graduation. Now, uh, and this is becoming uh, more commonplace at schools across the country. You can expect, of course, that there's politicization that occurs here in this Times report about the Harvard black student pre-commencement commencement, right? So the graduation before the graduation for black students. I should note, they always say that this is open to non-black students, do they really think when they do when they say that? Do they really think that that non-black students want to that one non-black student wants to be the one who shows up and I don't know if they walk in or handed some kind of other uh, piece of paper than the official? I mean, they get their official diplomas at the real ceremony or their or degree. Sorry, their official degree, but they hand them something. I don't know some memento. Uh, I don't think any 
non-black student is going to show up, generally speaking, and feel comfortable at the black student pre-graduation graduation, and that they pretend that this is not as clearly um, a form of uh, identity politics as it is, and, and really just shows you that the identity politics over the course of four years in these colleges doesn't go away. And if anything, it just gets stronger. Uh, this is obvious to me. I, I and I saw some of this at Amherst. There was here's here's a perfect example. Before I go back into the Harvard graduation here, uh, at Amherst we had a black student union house. You could live in the house if you were not a black student. And by the way, it was the nicest house on campus. It was a mansion. It was the single most beautiful, most spacious, best rooms on the campus. It was the Black Student Union House. I think every year I lived at Amherst, or I was at Amherst and lived there too, there might have been one non-black student that I knew of who lived in the house. And they, and of course, that's because if the house was 100% black, then people would say, well, are you, do you have to be black to live in the house? The official policy was you didn't have to be black to live in the house, but, but everybody who lived in the house was black. And it was, and they were, they would choose this, right? You would apply. There was an application process to live in this house and you would have to prove your dedication to black studies. This is at a school that's 43% non-white in my class, almost half non-white. This is at a school that talked about diversity constantly, endlessly. I mean, the, the worship of multiculturalism, you know, the, the way that the Muslim Brotherhood just says Islam is the answer. I mean, that, that is, and in many ways, that's their most... Uh, their most honest slogan, and it, and it is their slogan, but because Islam is the answer to all things for them, it doesn't. Islam is the answer to what you eat, how you wash, who you marry, uh, how you should work, how you should pray, who you are, what you should do, what you should think. For the modern college student, certainly the modern college administrator and professor, multiculturalism is the answer, or diversity. They're synonyms. They they mean more or less the same thing. Uh, that's always the answer. Multiculturalism is the answer. So there's such a premium put on this. It's considered to be so essential. And I was talking to you yesterday about that school where they have a mandated day of absence or a, a requested. But I mean, again, who's going to feel comfortable? Which no, uh, when, when the black students on campus say that they want all white students to stay off campus, do you think that a lot of the white students are going to feel particularly comfortable saying, yeah, we're just going to violate that request? I mean, maybe they will, but if there's a problem, uh, things can get uh, very uncomfortable for everybody very quickly, right? Uh, but that's happening at a at a small progressive college that nobody really cares about that you know, probably shouldn't even exist. I get the sense that there's not a lot of studying going on there. But we're talking about Harvard University now. Right? We're talking about a place that's also an incubator for not just future presidents, but uh, soon-to-be uh you know, heads of various federal agencies and titans of industry, and uh, the professors at Harvard get plucked for uh, plucked out of uh, that campus for top jobs across the country. I mean, uh, Harvard is a is a, an institution with, of course, a, a an, an endowment of tens of billions of dollars, and the name carries a tremendous amount of weight. But it also has been completely taken in by this diversity, multiculturalist rhetoric, uh, and ideology. And yet they have separate graduations. By the way, there are also now uh, LGBT. I don't ever know if I have to. And I'm, I mean this in earnest. It's going to sound like I'm being snarky. I never know if the Q is actually supposed to be there anymore. I hear LGBT 
all the time. LGBTQ depends, right? So I, I would just like a, a dispensation of some kind. I would like the official word from the progressive Politburo. I would like to know if the Q has to be said or if it can just be implied. But I digress. Uh, the politicization that, of course, occurs at this Harvard uh, African-American students' uh, pre-graduation graduation, graduation uh, was obvious. I mean, you knew that was going to happen. This is what the New York Times reports. Professor Terry, uh, one of the professors who spoke at, at this African-American graduation at uh, or commencement, same thing, at Harvard, said, quote, you began college just weeks after George Zimmerman was acquitted in the callous killing of Trayvon Martin. Professor Terry, an assistant professor of African and African-American studies and social studies, said in his address, You were teenagers like Michael Brown when he was subjected to the Sophoclean indignity of being shot dead and left in the blazing sun. Your world was shaped in indelible ways by these deaths and others like them, and many of you have courageously joined one of the largest protest movements in decades to try to wrest some semblance of justice from these tragedies. Mike Brown was shot because he attacked a cop and was a thug. Trayvon Martin was shot because he got into a fight with a guy who, under any other definition, under a college definition of his ethnicity, would be considered Hispanic. How these are uh, instances of systemic racism and injustice is, well, it's not just beyond me. It's beyond any reasonable interpretation of the facts or these events. And yet here you have a professor at Harvard at a self-selected black student graduation before the actual Harvard graduation telling these students lies and fanning the flames of resentment after they've been given a Harvard education. I mean, this is the, the, the degree is a ticket to all kinds of jobs that they would want and a future. And for the rest of their lives, these students will be in a position to say, I went to Harvard, that will open doors for them. People will roll out the red carpet to hire a minority graduate of Harvard University. They ask any major corporation, look at any graduate school, uh, talk to their admissions committee. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a golden ticket. And there's still this resentment. Oh, we're separate. Oh, we're, 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 not, uh, we're not seen the way by, uh, by the rest of the campus the way we want to be seen. I mean, you read this article in the New York Times, you're like, what will what does it take? At, at what point can we just say that students are students, they're together, they're on campus, it's great, they're a community, go forth and be good people. We have to separate. Oh, you know, this is for the LGBT students, this is for the black students, this is for the Hispanic students. And white students, you better shut up, not point out any of the insanity here, not mention that, yeah, they do make admissions allowances for people who are ethnic minorities, who are uh, LGBT, who are, you know, that is just reality. That is a fact. And the fact that it is a truth that if you speak, you could be in trouble for just saying what is what is irrefutable. I have friends who have worked on the admissions committees of some of these places, close friends of mine. And they're, I mean, they'll, a lot of them will openly say it, but behind closed doors, they're like, yeah. You know, if you're if you're this ethnicity, it's the equivalent of being worth a couple of hundred points on the SAT. If you're this sexual orientation, you know, it's your your B average is more like an A minus, comparatively speaking, in the pool. And that's to get into these places, which are viewed as and treated as the gatekeepers 
for careers for the rest of our lives. And here, groups of students are. It's not just black students doing this at Harvard. It's, as I said, different minority groups, LGBT, you know, I mean, different uh, groups that are choosing to self-select and do this. And they're not even, they're not even happy with the way they were treated on campus. They, they, they still have this feeling of otherness. Uh, I just, and, and we're supposed to think this is okay. This is normal. This, the same way that I was never allowed to ask any questions as a, as a resident uh, counselor at, at Amherst College about why do we have houses set aside for certain ethnicities? That seems strange to me if we're supposed to all be together and be one. Buck, don't ask those questions. You're white. Didn't your father, your father went to college, your father went to Harvard Business School. You're some elitist. We don't want to hear these things. Oh, okay, I'm just, I'm just, just trying to, I don't know, get to the truth. More and more you see this in our society, my friends, unfortunately. The, the, the truth isn't just unpopular. Uh, the truth will get you fired. The truth will ruin your reputation. The truth will have the law come after you. The truth will destroy you. But it doesn't mean you should give up on it. We'll be right back. Team, I hope you have a fantastic weekend plan. Really uh, looking forward to getting some rest myself. I, I do believe I'm going to be on Fox and Friends tomorrow morning around 7.20 a.m. So not going to get to sleep in tomorrow, but hopefully take a nap after that. I'll be talking about Russia, Trump, you know, that the huge, that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm also thinking about maybe taking the girlfriend to go see, and I, I go see a movie, I think, once a year, but I'm considering going to see the Wonder Woman movie. I've read reviews. The reviews are good, and there are some people who say it's not feminist enough and that it reinforces the patriarchy a little bit. Um, so there's that. Uh, so that means I want to see it, of course. And uh, the actress who plays Wonder Woman seems uh, rather lovely, so that's also uh, that's also a, a possible reason to go check it out. I think so. Maybe I'll have a, a and I, if I ever do movie reviews for you, I promise they'll be pretty quick. I uh, might have an update for you on that next week. I'm thinking about going to see it. Depends on what the weather's like on Sunday. I uh, hope you have a great weekend planned with uh, friends, family, or if you're just rocking it solo. Please do check out BuckSexton.com. Uh, hook us up with your email address so that when we get our newsletter going, you'll be a part of that Team Buck fun. Uh, if you're listening and you have not already, please do subscribe. Go to iTunes, type in Buck Sexton with America Now on iTunes, and uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to be part of all uh, social media Freedom Hut activities. You can talk to fellow Team Buck folks there, and uh, it's always a good time. So uh, with that, I'm going to get started on my Friday. I think there's a glass of uh, tequila, reposado probably, with my name on it somewhere. Uh, so until then, until Monday, my friends... As always, shields high.